Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You listen to Green, green. you might turn red. red. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So for the uh, benefit of our caller, who was just, uh, just yelling at me, I guess, didn't really want to talk to me, just wanted to complain, and he said, uh, you heard him say that, uh, so explain how Russia and, uh, and America has a, have a, a military base together in Alaska. So I guess he's trying to make the Putin-Trump connection. First of all, sir, I have to suggest to you this. There is no way that the United States and, and Russia would have the time to build a military base between November the 8th and today, okay? Because Trump didn't become president until November the 8th, unless you think Barack Obama was involved with Putin and they built a military base together. But here's the truth of it. I'm just going to read you a news story. Uh, And it goes like this. It's not clear what Russia hopes to achieve in deploying new military infrastructure in its far northeast, not far from Alaska. But the U.S. isn't happy about it. The executive director of the U.S. Arctic Executive Steering Committee said Monday, Mark Brzezinski, a former ambassador to Sweden, expressed confusion when asked about Russia's motivation in stationing troops at Chukotka, about 50 miles east of Alaska, while speaking at an event organized by the Atlantic Council. All right. It's not clear, but we aren't passive or indifferent regarding what happens there, Brzezinski said, when asked about what Russia's doing, why they're doing it and what the U.S. response will be. But we're also clear that we do not want to see militarization of the region or the security issues spike. So there you go. For what it's worth. Now, let's get to uh, the beauties, at least two of them. Catherine Swift, the most powerful woman in Canada, working Canadians.ca. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Roy. How's the, how's the doggy? Doggy is squeaking away in the background because one of my sons has just arrived, and she loves my kids so much that she just goes hairy when she sees them. So they do squeak, don't they? I'm trying to insulate they? myself here from sound, so I hope you don't hear it. That's all right. Uh, they they do tend to squeak. Well, yeah, she sort of has this high pitch when she's excited. Eee! You know. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one of my dogs goes out and he chirps. He sounds like I don't know, like a, like a big bird. He chirps. Yeah, you and, can. You can. They can make some funny noises. Yeah, and he gets the other dog all excited because the other dog doesn't know what other animals in the backyard. <laughs> So he's, here's, the, here's the first dog chirping. You're looking around for the other animal. He's not yeah, paying attention to his buddy because <laughs> his buddy's not supposed to chirp. His buddy's supposed to bark. <laughs> anyway, Michelle Simpson, former seatmate to the most powerful man in Canada. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. Could be. He's the prime minister. Uh, former Liberal MP, Scarborough West, right? Southwest. Ah! I knew I was close. You're close. I was writings, close. Eh? I was close. Yeah. And uh, we're waiting for, oh, we have Linda Leatherdale. You finally showed up. Hello, Roy. Where were you? Well, I I don't know. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm with the lovely Valerie Gibson. Uh-oh. She doesn't know and where I she is. And I was with the lovely John McDermott, one of Canada's treasures. 
a musician. I think everybody knows yeah. a singer. Yeah, exactly. Um, unbelievable, but I, I'm sorry if I'm late. I you apologize. are. You are, but it's okay. Yeah, we, we pretty were just... much covered everything, Linda. Yeah, we did. Bye. Well, you mean, now i got to go? <laughs> got to go. Nice talking to you. <laughs> All right, let's start with a couple of issues here that uh, that I know we want to get at, and there's quite a few that we need to talk about, so we'll do do them as quickly as as, as is reasonable. Uh, let's have you respond to the week in uh, in Washington. We were expecting James Rosen to be on the air with us in the last uh, half hour, the Fox um, senior reporter for Washington, but uh, chief correspondent for Washington, but... I imagine he's working. He couldn't join us. We didn't hear from him. I imagine he's working because the Syrians are back to using that air base that the Americans um, attacked in response to the chemical weapons attack on the uh, civilians in Syria. So uh, let's start with that, the American response to what happened in Syria. Michelle, you're the uh, you're in the political world, or, yeah, you still are. Um, yeah. What, 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 uh, how do you assess this? In terms of how Trump is looking at it? Well, I no, just the well. Or, any way you want to say, whatever you want to oh, say. Oh, okay. Um, I I think it was a, a the the appropriate response. I just questioned. Uh, yeah, I questioned. There there have been three at least three episodes where um, Assad gassed his own people, and up until this latest episode, Trump continued to think. He was worth propping up. So I guess I asked myself, what changed? Well, are you telling me there were three episodes since last since November? There were no since 2013. Well, there you have Mr. Obama, who the ditherer in chief, who was in charge. And remember, in 2013, the Russians gave assurances that all the chemical weapons that Assad had had been destroyed. So did yeah, the UN. No, exactly. But Trump, Trump. Continued to kind of prop up Assad, and then it suddenly became his first response was, "What happened last week was an affront," and I thought, "Whoa, that's a weak response." Well, I thought Michelle, you know, he, he more or less, and he's on the record in, in numerous instances. Trump is basically saying. You know, Syria. We're going to leave Syria alone. Like, yeah. You know, I, I don't know that I go as far as to say prop up Assad. I might be wrong. So I, I'm. I'm yeah. I said that during the campaign, didn't he? I think it was more. Yep. We're not going to do anything about that. It's up to the Syrian people to, you know, re-elect a new government or you know whatever the heck. And and um, and this was a total 180 degree. No, no question what he did. Yeah, but week. Catherine, I think the chemical fact that it was chemical weapons and you saw these kids die because they said it really seemed to personally affect Donald Trump. That changed the equation, I think. Well, that could well be. Um, and, and I don't, like I say, man, when you think about these horrible situations, there is no right answer. It is complicated. Yeah. It's messy. It's... You know, the notion that you can just go in and have a surgical strike or you can, you know, throw some tomahawks at it or whatever it happens to be. They're super, super complicated, horrid situations, heartbreaking when you see little babies, little babies dead on the, you know, on the newspaper yeah. pictures. I mean, yeah. it just breaks your yeah. heart. Well, I think, uh, Linda, what, what, uh, what uh, Assad found out is that there is a red line. It was just a red line that was enforced by the current American president where the most recent American president kept drawing new red lines. Well, and that's what's so interesting, you know, to have Obama say red line, 
we're not going to go in, we're not going to disrupt this. And then, you know, Michelle's right. All we heard from Trump was we're not going to we're not going to get involved with Syria. We're not going to get involved. We're just not going to get involved. And then boom. And I got to tell you, Trump is probably one of the most hated men in the world. But because he did this, he is now being overjoyed and everybody loves him for this strong well, I, th- I, I don't know what you guys are, uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm on the same page with, with, with you today, but I really think that what Donald Trump did was what he had to do, that was the, the right yep. thing to do, it was the appropriate message to send, and yep. now Assad has decided to use that airbase again, I think he's going to get hit again, he's going to get yep. hit a lot harder, and he'll get hit somewhere else. I, I just, it's going to happen. I don't, I don't disagree you know with you there. Right, I, I mean, right? I think I mean, the basic question is, do we in the West, with our relatively right privileged lifestyles and comfort and everything, do we have any responsibility for genocide? That's what's happening in Syria. Assad is killing his own people. Do we have any responsibility or any moral, you know, whatever you want to call it, for that? And I'd like to personally believe we do. I do, too. That, that we oh, yes. Yeah, I do, too. Right. You're I on your too. own, guys. And yeah. on that score, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you here, Roy. I, I actually am... Kind of, I won't say, ha- you know, you can't say you're happy to see any of this, but I think some type of response to Assad is absolutely necessary. And, and Obama abdicated to the Russians and, and Iran That's right. in, in this. He That's right. Remember the, yeah. remember the Russian yeah. general? Did anything about. Remember the Russian general walked into uh, the American embassy yeah. and said, we're now going to be putting troops into Syria? Yep. Uh, get used to it and walked out the door. Yep. And, and what what did Obama do? Nothing. Statements that never came to anything. Obama did nothing. Zero. Yeah. But I think but, that but, the, the yeah. thing that befuddles us is though th- this was a big change on Trump's part. And you might be right. The notion of seeing totally innocent people yeah. horribly g- gassing is you know one of the worst ways to go. I'm sure that might have been the trigger. And remember, but, he has some very very experienced military advisors. But is Trump going to change his position as yeah. it, uh, with respect to Syrian refugees? Good question. We so don't know that. Yet. We haven't heard anything about that, Roy. No. Well, I mean, and, I, I, you know, I, I, yeah, bad. Michelle, Michelle, the, they unloaded the tomahawks 48 hours ago. Yeah. Right. So why don't yeah. we just wait a couple of days to All see what right. happens next, right? Because he's, Assad is using the base again. So I think they should really just send one up, uh, one of those tomahawks directly at Assad's big mouth. And well, you know, it's a terrible thing to say, but somebody, no, somebody could take out that evil, evil, evil man. Yeah, that wouldn't bother me a bit. No, it wouldn't Absolutely bug me either. Me either. Okay, Denny Kader. Denny Kader. <laughs> Denny Kader. Another one. Danny Kader had an inflamed prostate and he couldn't remember a $25,000 check he received. <laughs> I'm not accusing Uh, the man of a single thing. It's just as another man, as I've pointed out on the air, you cannot tell if you have a prostate inflammation because it has no sensations. Well, the fact that he took a $25,000 check, he's a long-term politician, come on, and said it doesn't mean anything? Oh, give me a break. What does it say to you, Catherine? Because here's the guy who gets a $25,000 check from a longtime friend and supporter, and a couple of days later, or a week or two later, he puts $25,000 into the account of his law firm that's covering, uh, that's representing him in the Shane Doan affair. Just those those uh, specific bits and pieces. I, I don't have an issue with it. It's just, it's a friend giving him some assistance. That's yeah. nobody's business. Yeah. But when he but when he says, I can't remember, 
and then says, well, I, maybe I didn't remember because of an inflamed prostate, that's when my antenna starts to whirl. Well, Denny Kader is a hothead. He is the only MP I have ever almost had a fist fight with. Uh, we were, I, I kid you not, we were at a parliamentary committee hearing. He didn't like what we were saying. Um, and, and he literally started coming around the table. And I have to confess, wow. I was ready to rock and roll. Down goes Kader. Down goes Kader. <laughs> well, I probably would have gone down because he's a lot bigger than I am. But that being said, you know, I, I know the guy somewhat. He, he is a hothead. And yeah. the Shane Doan thing alone, wh- why did he even get into that, you know, I know, silly, silly thing? But I'm sorry. You know, whatever his lame excuse was, and you're right, the prostate excuse was very lame. You're taking money. You're, you know, I'm sorry. If you're in public office and he's not new to that game, he should know better. Than to take the money but at he, all. Period. But he yeah. said he said it was a contribution, not a gift, <laughs> which was why he didn't declare it. Uh, so my well. question is, if it was a contribution to what? Who actually cashed that check? And I I would add, too, if that was a conservative, we would see this in headlines right across the media, across the country. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? He said it's a contribution, so explain it. And why are you hiding? He's hiding. Yeah. Uh, I'm still... If it was a contribution to a sitting MP, there are limits that, you know... It, it's unclear to $500. me, $500. follow the money trail, and why he got this in 2012, the check, when the Doan case was settled two years prior. I have to take a break, uh, Michelle, but just before okay. we do, just before we do, just in a, in a very rudimentary sense, what's the rule for MPs to receive monetary gifts from friends? Okay, if you get a gift, $500 or more, you have to declare it exactly. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to exactly. the ethics commissioner, period, end. Yep. End of story. Yep. yep. Or to your doctor. In this case, yeah, I guess that's uh, the, the fuzzy area. Yeah, you have to report this to your doctor. <laughs> your prostate specialist. Yeah, yeah, I would do that. Urology is what their specialty is. We will... <laughs> We're going to come back with, I don't know what's happening to today. Let's just hope it doesn't repeat itself tomorrow. Uh, oh, you guys are great. Linda, Catherine, Michelle, the beauties. I'm the Beast. We'll come back in a minute. Roy Green isn't afraid to poke the bear. The bigger the bear, the bigger the poke. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Beauties and the Beast, Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca, Linda Leatherdale at Linda Leatherdale, and LindaLeatherdale.com, Canada's most respected independent business journalist, and at Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, former seatmate, seatmate to the Prime Minister of Canada. Did you whip out the uh, the uh, the phone with the, you know, take a lot of pictures, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> Like selfies with Jim. yeah yeah yeah. Did he do a lot uh, of that? Mm, not really. If he was in a room working yeah. a room, yeah, yeah, he used to not so much selfies. You know, people were lining up to get pictures with him, so there was less selfies. And well, I guess he said no. 
Oh, right. Yeah, yeah you had to buy a ticket to get in the line. <laughs> what about the overheated housing market, beauties? How's the rest of Canada going to uh, deal with this? Um, because it does have an impact on the economy overall. Let's go to the economist, Ms. Swift. Boy, well, this is a this is a tough one. Uh, it, the, the overheated housing markets are very, very localized, as we know, Toronto and Vancouver. And um, I think the governments have, I have to, again, whatever, whatever stripe they happen to be, um, I think they are right to be very, very wary about wading in. Because the potential, I mean, look, look what, the thing that precipitated the big crash in 2008 was the U.S. housing market. The potential for governments to do something stupid <laughs> that crashes something that is most people's nest egg in one way or another, right. you know, and, and, and we'll see what happens. Just last week, you know, the federal finance minister, Morneau, said he talked to, he was talking to the Ontario finance minister and, and John Tory in Toronto and saying we should, you know, get together and think about what we should do. But be careful, folks, because, yep. you know, you might find you do a lot more damage than more or less leaving it alone. And uh, unlike the U.S. situation, which was a, a very policy-induced bubble, which was basically lending money to people who should never have been able to borrow that much money given their financial circumstances, what we have in Toronto in particular is a supply shortage. There's no doubt about it. There is a supply shortage. And you can, you can maybe fiddle around a bit with the foreign buyers. The, you know, they've talked about the properties that are bought and then they're left empty for a, a year or whatever. But, boy, it, it's a very blunt instrument. And if you try to sort of micromanage little bits of the market that I think we'd all agree need, some, you know, need something done, you might just do something a lot worse to the entire market. Now, moving away from Toronto, moving down the QEW toward Hamilton and then down toward Niagara, certainly as far as Hamilton and even beyond Hamilton, uh, Linda, as you know, because you live on that track, uh, perhaps house prices have gone sky high in the communities surrounding Toronto. Absolutely, and as it moves out. And, you know, foreign investors, I mean, come on. I, I called the crash of 1989 to 1990, and then we saw this. And Michael Wilson, then the finance minister, let's hike interest rates, let's burn this down. And we saw a deflationary cycle to 1996. This is different. And we have to understand that, yes, I mean, when – I'm sitting here at the lovely home of Valerie Gibson. Right two doors away is a house that was bought by who knows who's who sitting vacant. Um, the investors are buying us up. We are cheap in the world stage. We are now a world-class city. And as you're right, Roy, that has pushed out Hamilton, Niagara. Prices are going upwards. Okay. Um, what can we do? I think... Ten seconds. Ten seconds. We need to get ingenious. We need to, if we want our children to be able to afford a home, we should be helping out parts of Ontario where it's depressed that we can put in white picket fences and okay. our kids don't have to yeah. drive three hours. That's going to help out Ontario. That's going to go over well in Alberta. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. They've been doing it for decades. Exactly the challenge. <laughs> Toodaloo, kids. Talk to you next weekend. Bye-bye.